Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to On the Birds. This is Zach Spedden's win as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we've got a lot of big news to get to, including several promotions that were announced in the minor leagues on Monday, headlined by Colton Kowser and Joey Ortiz making the jump from AA Bowie to AAA Norfolk. But there are some other big ones in there as well that we'll get to in just a moment. In addition, we're also going to take a look at the Florida Complex League and Dominican Summer League seasons. Now that both of them are in the books, talk about the influx of talent that has hit the Delmarva Sorebirds roster in recent weeks. And we'll wrap up the show with a look at a possible contract extension for Adley Rutzman on the heels of the Seattle Mariners agreeing to a large extension with their prized young player, Julio Rodriguez. That's all coming up on tonight's show. But first, we want to shout out new members of our Patreon community, and I will turn that over to Bob. Yeah, so I don't know why, but all of a sudden we got a a big rush of uh, patrons the last couple days here. And uh, thank you for those who have signed up. First up was Alex Clark, John Pfaff. Harrison Witt, Seth Dawson, and Jordan Myers. Thanks for joining up. We really appreciate the support, and I hope you find it worthwhile. I would say a well-placed tweet. Might have had something to do with that, Nick. I mean, we got we got some people in that Patreon group who know some things, so yeah. uh, it's a good time. Yep. You want some inside insight before everyone else knows? Maybe Maybe it's an idea to sign up and get into that WhatsApp group. I don't know. Just saying. Well, we'll get into that news because we've kind of been alluding to it on our Twitter feed at BSL and the Birds now for close to 24 hours. And that was Colton Kowser and Joey Ortiz making the jump from double A Bowie to triple A Norfolk. That is not all that happened, though, however, as Daryl Hernandez will go from Aberdeen to Bowie after an excellent run between the two A ball levels this year. And despite being just over a dozen games into his professional career, Judd Fabian is making the jump from Delmarva to Aberdeen after a phenomenal run with the Shorebirds. And we've got some Grayson Rodriguez injury comeback news as Rodriguez is slated to make a rehab start for the Ironbirds this week. will be his first time on the mound in an organized game since he hurt his lap back in the beginning of June. We're going to start here, though, with Kowser and Ortiz. And I think that for both players, this is really a well-earned promotion. Kowser, since he got the buoy earlier this summer, has torn the cover off the ball, hitting 341 with an OPS of over 1,000, in 224 plate appearances. Ortiz, meanwhile, continues to flash impressive defense at shortstop and has really picked up the pace offensively in the last two months, giving him a 269 average of the 792 OPS and 15 home runs and 485 plate appearances for the Bay Sox. It's also worth noting that Ortiz, who was drafted by the Orioles back in 2019, will be Rule 5 eligible after this season. So this promotion 
to AAA, probably all but signals that the Orioles plan to protect him from the Rule 5 draft with a 40-man roster spot this offseason. So some significant uh, moves here, and I'll start with Nick. I think that for neither of these players, this is a particularly surprising development, but what are your thoughts? I said after he walked off Altoona, Colton Kowser that is, after he walked off Altoona on Sunday that I had seen enough, and I'm glad the Orioles agreed because he was clearly not being challenged anymore in AA, and I knew the strikeouts would decrease from his time in Aberdeen. That was never a concern to me, no matter how many times people said I should be concerned. Like, that's... What surprised me the most is the power surge when he got to Bowie. I mean, he got 10 home runs in, what, 49 games after he just had four in Aberdeen. Uh, And they're not cheap shots either. I think we were all obviously hoping for a bit more power when he moved up to Bowie, but 10 home runs in that span, I think, exceeded at least my expectations of what he was going to do. And we're talking about 224 plate appearances where that one base percentage was 469, the 184 WRC+. plus. That's a substantial sample size here. So we're not talking about just a quick month in Bowie and look what he's done. Uh, This is a a good amount here. And I think now he's going to get a full month at AAA to close out the year, put himself into a pretty prime position in 2023. And I think my only question with Kowser at this point now is like, do we think he continues to follow the Kyle Stowers path? And maybe as an Arizona Folly candidate, like, play across three levels, get substantial amount of time in a triple-A, close out the year, go out to the Arizona Fall League, face some of the best pitching prospects in all of baseball, start next year in triple-A for, we know, a couple of weeks, and he's called up fairly early on in 2023. Like, I wouldn't hate giving him that uh, additional challenge, but with Joey Ortiz, like, I'm just happy for the guy, to be honest. Like, he he was slapped with this all-glove, no-bat stigma early on in his career and worked his butt off to become the hitter that he is, and now... I think the word elite gets thrown around you know, loosely and myself included, but he is truly an elite defender in my opinion. And I think just like Kowser, he's exceeded expectations. Like I, I wasn't concerned a month or two in the year when he wasn't hitting that well, but as the season kept progressing and he continues to not hit very well, I was thinking, all right, is he ever going to be able to come back from this? And turns out he put in back to back months of over a thousand <laughs> OPS and he had 11 home runs in those two months. He had nine career home runs up to that point. He more than doubled his career home run total in two months. So my only concern now with Ortiz is, you know, like we're fans. It's why we do this podcast, why we do the show. Uh, we have our favorites in this system. We don't hide that. And uh, Joey Ortiz has become one of my favorites. And so now I'm just thinking like, all right, sure, he's in this position now to get added to the 40-man roster. But do the Orioles think he has a home somewhere on this major league roster or is he uh, a pretty easy trade candidate in the offseason? That's the only thing now that um, I'm looking forward to. But, yeah, fantastic job by both of these guys. Yeah, uh, I'll go back to Kowser first. I think that game-winning home run was like 108 off the bat, 440 feet to dead center field, something like that. And, yeah, who knew he would have that kind of power potential? I guess the Orioles did when they drafted him. But if you look at the difference between when he was in high A to when he got up to, to double A, it doesn't really look like there's much. His walk rate's basically identical. 16.2 mm-hmm. in high A, 16.1 at double A. Dropped his strikeout rate by 3%. Obviously spiked his power. WRC plus is 60 points higher. But what I noticed was that he's using the f- whole field a lot more. In, uh, in high A, he was pulling the ball a lot. And his percentages were pretty evenly spread out once he moved up to double A. And he stopped hitting the ball on the ground as much. He hit it. The ground ball percentage of 51% with the Ironbirds, it's down to like 35.5% in 
with Bowie. So obviously that that'll that'll help things out. Plays a underrated center field, I think. So yeah, he's on the Kyle Stowers path for sure. But I could see him, you know, if he has a really really great month here and then just comes into spring training looking even more improved. If they want yet another shot at one of those rookie of the year bonus draft picks, maybe he starts uh, the year on opening day. So it'd be interesting to see what the Orioles do as far as the outfield goes this off season. That'll be interesting to watch. And then with Joey Ortiz, it's just a matter of two halves of this season so far. If you look at before July, he was batting 206 with a 596 OPS walking only 6.5% of the time, striking out 20.2% of the time, a 119 ISO and 63 WRC+, plus, over 252 plate appearances. Once July 1st hit, over 208 plate appearances, he hit 355 with a 1059 OPS, an 11.1% walk rate, only striking out 12% of the time, 279 ISO and 184 WRC+. Plus. So well-deserved. Obviously, he's got the defense if he can even hit, like, in the middle between those two halves, then he's going to be a major leaguer for a long time. Yeah. It's interesting. When you think back to April, we were getting a lot of the, why aren't you more worried about Kowser and his strikeouts? I think it was after about 10 games, two weeks, somewhere in there, his strikeout rate was hovering around 40%. That has dropped down. You know, his strikeout total for the year is going to be higher than I think any of us would have expected, but month over month, it has dropped down to levels that I think are more normal for him. And what happened in the process was we started to see the walks come up. And then particularly from about June 1st on, he's been hitting the ball a lot harder. And I think that that power surge combined with the move out of Aberdeen, which is not a home run hitter's park, kind of led to him tapping into the power a little bit. And just to go since May 1st, Kowser in 93 games is a 436 on base percentage with 13 of his 14 home runs, most of which came at double A. So the power really has come along. And like Bob said, I think his defense in center field is underrated. I could, you know, I don't know that 10 years from now I see Colton Calder as a center fielder necessarily, but I think for the first few years when he's in the major leagues, um, he could more than handle a position. And Ortiz, his defense is elite. And what I was looking for over the first few months of the season was, you know, maybe if the bat doesn't come quite back around for him, that glove will still allow him to stick around for a while. He's always had a good plate approach. So, you know, maybe he can find a way, even if the bat doesn't come back. But then the bat did come back in the last two months. And I think what we've seen is he settled some of those questions that were left even before the season started, which was, was that power uptick we saw in 2021 sustainable? Um, and I think that just what happened was that it took him a few months to get comfortable. John Mioli wrote a great piece about Ortiz a few weeks ago in his newsletter. And it kind of shone a light for me on how far behind Ortiz was. I don't want to say how far behind, but how long a road back it was for him with that injury. He couldn't start swinging a bat normally until February. So you think about it, he didn't have that off-season ramp up that a lot of players have. And I think it just took time for him to come into play. And, you know, as for what Nick brought up, we'll see. I think if the Orioles, you know, do make a move this offseason and trade from some of their minor league depth, the middle infield would be an obvious place to start. And some teams would probably love Ortiz. But at the same time, you could probably put Ortiz at AAA next year, let him play every day for the first few months. You have a nice double play combination in him and Connor Norby. And then when you have that good problem, you figure it out then. 
Yeah, I'm yeah. about that. I'm about, you know, let's not rush to trade these guys if we don't have to. But I mean, obviously, if you got to do what you got to do if you're Michael Elias and the team's ready to contend. But I don't see any reason why Ortiz, like you said, couldn't start the first half all in AAA. And then, you know, if there's an injury comes up or if there's a if he has a great start and there's a guy they want to go acquire, maybe he's even more desirable then. So plenty of options. No need to rush any of these things. And the depth is so big. And coming up so fast that, you know, you don't have to make a rash decision here. And Jeff Ponce over at Baseball America, actually, he put out an article today that I'm probably going to quote a few times tonight. But uh, it was just a list of a bunch of prospects who basically to target in fantasy baseball. Right. But uh, there it was just a bunch of Orioles on this list, including Kowser. And he mentioned the strikeout rate. The strikeout rate has dropped since June 1st, a 24 percent strikeout rate to a 15.3% walk rate and made a note about the defensive value. He says Kowser's combination of elite swing decisions, blossoming impact and defensive value could see him turn into another young major league regular for the Orioles. So clearly it's good defense there. Uh, and that's being noticed the swing decisions. We we've seen that like that's from the jump. I mean, it could, I, I mentioned when we first got to watch him last year in Delmarva that his patience at the plate was just different. We talk about that with some guys, but you could just tell like he sees the ball so well and he knows that strike zone. I thought better than anyone I had watched last year, anyone in the system, to be totally honest. Uh, and he's, he's really showing that this year and the strikeout rate, you know, did jump in the beginning, but he was settling in. He had some issues and he, he's been overcoming those issues all part of the player development process. Can you imagine a day when the top three in the Orioles lineup are uh, Colton Kowser, Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, some pretty decent swing decisions and patient at the plate there at the top of a lineup. But uh, one thing I noticed when I was going through Kowser's Fangraphs page today is I was going through two week increments and just looking at, you know, he didn't slump at all. <laughs> you know, I think he was over a thousand OPS pretty much in every single two week stretch, except for one, he was around 800. So he just, he was very, very consistent to be that good for that long. Definitely well-deserved uh, promotion. You also highlight the just look at the game logs since he went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts and uh told the ref to go get a new job. He really didn't say that, but uh <laughs> let the put the the umpire in his place, uh, which I fully support doing. Uh he's been he went on a whole nother tear since that game like two weeks ago. So uh yeah, I feel like Colton Cowser is not a guy that you uh you make mad because he's just gonna take it on the ball and we saw Sunday what happens when all of that gets unleashed on a baseball. It's a thing of beauty. We've got a lot of time in the next few months to have this discussion, but I did want to kind of throw it out there now just to see what your initial thoughts are. Kowser is now a triple-A. He'll have about a month, as Nick mentioned. Maybe he does get some Arizona fall league time. Could you see a scenario where Kowser is on the opening day roster next year and the Orioles have not just one, but perhaps four opportunities to pick up that rookie of the year draft pick with him, Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall. And maybe Jordan Westberg. Yeah, Jordan Westberg too. So there's possibly five. I could see a scenario where it happens. I would say it's a long shot. I mean, that, that would take like an incredible end to the season and just even more vast improvement uh, going into next year and showing it off in spring training. And it would take a trade to happen to free up the space to do that. But I don't think that's out of the possibilities. I think he could handle it. I think uh, Fangraph Steamer page had, uh, or is it Streamer Steamer? I don't know. Whatever their little thing is, it says what a player would do at the major leagues right now. Had 
Cal's are at a 110 WRC plus predicted for the rest of the season if he was in the majors right now. So yeah, I think he could hold his own. I don't think it's likely, but I think it is a possibility. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how many if we see an influx of rookies on opening day rosters next year, as more teams try to shoot for that draft pick. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to find out, but yeah, it's, I, I think I agree with Bob that it definitely is a long shot, but that's why I mentioned there's on a fall league. Like what if he does play well in triple and then he goes to the Arizona fall league and gets challenged and has a tremendous fall league experience. You know, it's not completely out of the question. Odds are extremely low, but it's some fun to think about over the off season. Yeah, exactly. Low odds, and a lot of it would probably depend on things beyond his control. Um, I don't see it happening if the Orioles keep their current crop of outfield slash DH options around going into next year. But if there is a trade and you seemingly have an open spot in the outfield going into camp next year, I would have to think Calder's name is going to be in the mix. But a lot of time uh, left before we see how that works out. We'll go down to Daryl Hernandez now, who goes all the way from Delmarva to Bowie in what has been one of the more impressive seasons that any Orioles minor leaguer has had. Hernandez, who turned 21 earlier this month, had the kind of season at Delmarva last year that I think in most organizations would have earned him a promotion to high A. But with the Orioles' stacked middle infield depth, not leaving a ton of opportunities for every day at bats, he went back to Delmarva and showed improved power and was just a better hitter overall. And after 32 games there, made the jump to Aberdeen, where he managed to be even better. Batting 305 and 832 OPS, five homers in 60 games, all the while stealing 22 bases in 25 attempts, bringing his total in the season to 31 and 34 attempts. He rounds it out with 11 homers, 54 RBIs, and 840 OPS between the two A-ball levels. And he will now be a starting infielder and double A over the final month of the season. It's just 21 years old. And this is a player who coming into this year that I think the three of us liked, but we still didn't know entirely what to make of. He still seemed young, raw. The walk rate in Delmarva last year had been really low. So there were some question marks with him, but he has made tremendous strides this season. Yeah. And I know I had, and all of us probably mentioned him as a possible breakout candidate coming into this year. Wish I would have been a little more firm in that prediction because he clearly is the breakout player of the year for this system, unless I'm forgetting someone off the top of my head. But he goes back to Delmarva, clearly frustrated, rightfully so. But like you said, the walk rate was low last year. He didn't hit for much power. He comes in and his walk rate was actually 5.8%, which was 1% lower than it was in 2021, but struck out even less. And the power showed up. He started hitting for doubles, for for home runs, obviously stealing some bases. 132 WRC plus. Then he gets promoted up to Aberdeen. And I feel like he's been even more impressive since he got the promotion. He's got a 126 WRC plus, but he's only striking out 16.9% of the time, 8.6% walk rate. So he got that up to like a league average level. And even the power was still there. He's got a 150 ISO in that notoriously tough to hit, especially for power. Uh, in Aberdeen, Lido's field, whatever you want to call it, 13 doubles, three triples, five home runs. Like you said, the 22 stolen bases. So love to see it. Love it for the guy. And just another very talented infielder in this system that can clearly still perform when he's feeling under pressure or not, you know, exactly happy with the situation as he was in the beginning of this year. But, hey, he used it to, as fuel instead of turning and hiding away from it and failing. So, 
I love it. I love what he's provided. And another one who I would be really sad if he was traded because his value is getting higher and higher. But man, this system is loaded with infield talent, especially at guys who were drafted as shortstop and Hernandez is right there in the top of the group. Just a couple of the stories that we've heard I, when we hear what he's gone through and what he's had to overcome and what he's dealt with internally. It's, it's fascinating uh, to see Hernandez in this place Like you mentioned he just turned 21, like three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And now he's in double a, you got Kobe Mayo who's 20 in double a, I mean, these, that's just tells you exactly what the organization thinks of these guys. Um, you, you mentioned the power. He hit just six home runs all of last year in Delmarva, and he matched that total in Delmarva again this year in 270 fewer plate appearances. I think I've written that in like a couple articles of Baltimore Sports and Life because I think it's fascinating. Uh, you meant, Yeah, last year we enjoyed his season. We talked about him a lot last year, but it was like he'd go on these massive – I can't remember off the top of my head now. I've written about this as well, but – I think he had at least three different stretches of 20 game on base streaks and then like a 15 game on base streak and a 13 game on base streak. Something just these ridiculous stretches he would go on, but it was always just one for four or 0 for three, 0 for four with a walk. And that's kind of what he did. I mean, the OPS was like six something. So nothing really jumped out, not a lot of extra base hits. And this year in Delmarva completely turned it around and he gets that bump up to Aberdeen and, you know, the batting average went up like 20, 30 points. The on-base percentage went up more than 30 points. A you know, little less power numbers, but he's getting on base. And I noticed he's got a big spike in his line drive rate as well. So we know he's got the power. And that's something that I think every national report on Hernandez talks about, is that there's more power in the tank. I think I've seen that written, I don't know how many times, by other people outside the organization. So if he's hitting more line drives, making better contact, and he can get more lift on that ball. And now he's joining Bowie, and we've seen what Norby, Mayo, and Kowser have done. Imagine what Daryl Harnays could do over this last month then. Was Bowie got like a month and a half left of the season? So, yeah, and I think, like, I was thinking back when I started this whole journey, you know, five, six years ago, Harnays was probably a top, easily top 10 prospect. Closer Without to top, top five prospect in this system he'd be pushing. And now he's barely a top five shortstop prospect in the system. And that's not a shot at him at all. That's just the growth of this system. We should mention too, what Sam Zelnick had talked about when he was on this show a few months ago about what a leader Hernandez was during the clubhouse during his time in Del Marva. And for a 20 year old player to kind of take on a leadership role is really impressive. So you combine that now with what he's doing production wise. And I think that he's boosted his stock about as much as any prospect in the system this year. Yeah, he still has even more room to fill out and to get stronger and develop more of that power like Nick was talking about. So I don't think we've seen the last of the the breakout. I think it's going to continue into next year, and he might be a guy that is a top five, top ten prospect in the system uh, at some point next year. This this also leads me to one more point about Hernandez. It's more about Aberdeen because I love Roberto Mercado's tweets every time someone from Aberdeen gets promoted where they take the selfies. I imagine it's after they tell them the news. Uh, and it's hate to see you go, but love to watch you leave. And then they're, they're selfies together. Those are my favorite tweets every week because it seems like every week there's someone from Aberdeen getting that bump to Bowie. And like Aberdeen is just a factory this year. We dunk on Aberdeen's broadcast and it's so right frustrating. So. Yeah, it's rightfully so because look at the talent that is coming out of Aberdeen and the guys who are coming into Aberdeen and we're like, all right, they're good. They're intriguing but there's questions about this, there's questions about that. And then you get to Aberdeen and it's like, whoa, who is this guy? 
I mean, how many times has that happened this year? Uh, and it's frustrating because, you know, we always can't watch them closely. But, man, just shout out to this Aberdeen staff as well. That's that's a phenomenal uh, story that I, I wish more people would dive into, these guys, these, these coaching staff that they have in place there. Move on now to the player that is making the jump to Aberdeen, and that is Judd Fabian, the 67th overall pick in this year's draft out of Florida by the Orioles. Uh, he came in and was on a tear immediately after being drafted and through his first 14 professional games has an OPS of over 1,300 between the De- between Delmarva and the FCL. Ten of those 14 games came at Delmarva. He has a total of 13 extra base hits in that span, including three homers. Uh, Fabian, just to give some background, is a guy that, who had always sort of shown a high ceiling during his time at Florida, but there were questions about the strikeout rate and his contact. This year at Florida, the walk rate did come up a little bit, and he had a bit of a rebound year after slumping in 2021. The Orioles were reportedly interested in him in 2021, but the Boston Red Sox drafted him before the Orioles had a chance to take him. But the later pick in that draft um, had their chance to get him this year and took him. And this is a pretty quick uh, – and surprising entrance into professional baseball for Judd Fabian to make the leap to high A Aberdeen. Yeah, well worth the wait for Judd Fabian here. I mean, goodness gracious, he's got a 241 WRC plus for the FCL and then a 244 WRC plus for for Loe Delmarva. More walks than strikeouts, and the strikeout rate is pretty low at that, walk rate pretty high. He's just not hitting the ball on the ground. He literally didn't hit a ground ball when he was with the FCL, and he's only hitting the ball 14.3% of the time in Delmarva. So if he can uh, lay off the bad pitches, walk more than he strikes out, and never hit the ball on the ground, I I think he'll be okay. This is why I said, I think since draft night, that Fabian, to me, was the prospect that I was most intrigued by because if he could get into this organization and hit – we know the defense is really good. We know he went back to Florida, and you mentioned he he improved the walk rate. The strikeouts went down, but pretty much everything else statistically kind of stayed the same or improved. Like he really didn't sacrifice, seemed to at least. You know, we don't have the, all the the good college data, but you know, just kind of looking at his college numbers, he didn't really sell out in any area, but he improved in the areas that people dinged him for. And yeah, he still only hit 239 that last year at Florida. And that's, I think that was my biggest biggest concern. How much is he going to be able to hit when he gets into this organization? And he's hitting over 400 since he joined. And yeah, that's against rookie ball pitching and low A pitching. But now he's he's getting challenged early on in Aberdeen. I did not see this coming. Uh, we saw Colton Kowser and guys just mash for the rest of the season in Delmarva, put up video game numbers and the Orioles were comfortable keeping them there. Clearly, Fabian's uh, ready. I think this is a guy who is not going to spend a lot of time in the minor leagues if everything continues to go right. We'll, we'll see. Right now, he's got more walks and strikeouts, but you could not ask for a better start for Judd Fabian. This is an unbelievable pick. I almost feel bad because it cost him like a million dollars, but his loss are gain, and now we're all winning here. It's all good. He'll, he'll make it up for it when we <laughs> sign him to an extension uh, in <laughs> Four years or so. I hope he brings that up. Like, remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has, I think, you know, I'm not surprised that he hit low A pitching well, but you watch his at bats. He was hitting the ball hard every time up and he was putting together a good at bats. It wasn't like he was getting a bunch of first pitch fastballs. He was putting together good at bats and really, you know, 
taking advantage of mistakes when he got him hitting tough pitches and really driving the ball. So he looks good at the plate, and the defense in center field is really good. And that's one thing I've always liked about Fabian is that it seems like he is the kind of guy you could, you know, pencil him in right now in center field in the major leagues eventually. This is a matter of how the bat is going to play at the higher levels. I think he's always going to hit for power, but will the improvements he's shown with the walk rate going back to the start of this season at Florida continue to show themselves, and will he be able to further cut back on the strikeouts, hit for average a little bit more? Those are the things you have to watch, but getting to high A this early in his career is a big achievement, and he'll have a few weeks of regular season ball left, plus the playoffs. So opportunities for him to have extended at bats before the season ends. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Aberdeen is qualified for the championship series, so he gets a few more games as well. And uh, yeah, like this kid just mashes. I, I I would not be shocked if the Aberdeen effect does does not affect him. To be completely honest, I, I want to see that because you know, if he starts hitting home runs immediately down in Aberdeen, I'm going to get even more excited which is going to be hard to do after watching him these first couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm going to the Ironbirds game on Wednesday, taking the kids. I wish it was Thursday with Grayson starting, as I'm sure we'll talk about. But, yeah, I'm going to get to see Judd and, and our, our friend Freddie Ben Cosme. I got it. And Luis Valdez. It's going to be fun. It's going to be different than when I went earlier in the season, but all just as much fun, just the same. And Fabian's kind of like – comparable to Joey Ortiz and that he can just rely on that his defense is so good that it's almost a high enough floor that he should at least make it to triple a and a guy that could step in with a, if needed as an injury replacement or something like that. But if he's going to hit, then just makes the value all that much more. We'll talk about Grayson Rodriguez for a moment. He, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, working his way back from a lot injury, that seemingly came right before he was going to be promoted to the major leagues. Um, we've said, kind of speculated before about whether that outing where he got hurt was supposed to be his last as AAA level. We'll probably never know. But now Rodriguez is on the road back. He's slated to make a rehab appearance in Aberdeen on Thursday night. Uh, just kind of curious of the timing here. We're coming down in the last few weeks of the season, but you do have about a month left of AAA and a little more than a month in the major leagues, the Orioles continue to make the push for the wild card spot. Where do you guys see Rodriguez's ceiling being this year in terms of level? I'll start with Nick on this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough because we don't know, you know how severe the injury was. We don't have any specific you know, about this injury, but I mean, seeing as it's August 29th, you've got a month left of the season, a little over a month in the major league season. I personally just don't know if I see him making his big league debut this year. Like unless he hits Aberdeen and then he gets a, an outing in Bowie and then maybe one outing in Norfolk, he probably does that route. And I haven't looked at the schedules to see if like it's home, home, home. And, and that would like we were doing earlier with somebody in, in that situation. But um, if that's the case, like maybe I could see that. And if he's feeling good, but I don't know that that just scares me. I just think like, why not just, slow played in Aberdeen, slow played in Bowie for a start, and then get a couple more outings in Norfolk. They run through the end of September, and then you can immediately send him to the Arizona Fall League as well, where he can get more innings. I would be much more comfortable with that, to be honest. You know, How much really is he going to give you in the major leagues this year? Like, Do you really want to if, – if this team is like there, like we're in the final week of the season, and it is one game, two games are separating the Orioles from a playoff spot – 
I could see the urge and why a lot of people, I'm sure many Orioles fans would be clamoring for Grayson Rodriguez to be in that situation, even if it's in a bullpen role. But like Vivek's comment there, I agree with that 100%. Like, you got to look forward to 2023. This is a guy who can be 100% healthy and ready to go on the opening day roster, maybe even pitching opening day next year. I, I don't want to risk that. That's just, that's that's how I'm viewing this. Are we going to get a tweet from Mercado on Friday? Picture of Grayson, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hate to see you leave. Uh, love to watch you go or whatever. Uh, he's on his way from his rehab. But uh, yeah, I, I think I'm in agreement with you. And I think you can let him get back to where he's comfortable making starts for Norfolk again. And then you can just keep one eye on the season where, hey, if he's looking healthy and dominant and, you know, it's the last week or two of the season and you're really – right there knocking on the door you could use him either in the bullpen or in the rotation at the major league level but i i don't necessarily think it's going to happen unless it's like a very unique set of circumstances where you need his his skills and he's looking like he's more than than healthy and ready to do it but yeah i'm in completely agreement but i'm just glad he's healthy and i would think he's a shoe in for the arizona fall league at this point because they're going to want to get his innings ramped up a little bit heading into 2023 yeah, I agree with you guys. I think a lot of things would have to fall into place for him to make the major leagues because I just checked Nathan Ruiz had reported on Monday um, before we started recording this show that it wasn't clear how Rodriguez was going to be used in his first start in terms of his pitch count or his innings limit. I did just look at the schedules, and it does line up that Bowie will start a home series against Richmond the day after Labor Day, which will be next week. And then the week after that, Norfolk will start a home series against Charlotte. So maybe Rodriguez does make one start each at the three affiliates next week. But I think unless all three of those starts are at a normal pace, you would really have to accelerate things for him to get to the major leagues in time for the end of that, for the season finale in early October. So, and I think you're also going to see too, as just as he's beginning to ramp back up, the Orioles are going to have a pretty good idea of whether or not they're still in it. And if they're still in it, they can make the decision then to bring him up, go ahead, put him on the 40-man roster, which we're going to do in the offseason anyways, and give him an outing before he's in the rotation next year. If not, uh, keep him at Norfolk, like Bob said, send him to the Arizona Fall League, and he comes into camp with the mindset that he is pitching in the op- opening day rotation next year. It's not a question of does he go back to AAA or not. It's going to be major leagues. And we'll go here to a question from AJ because we were planning to talk about this next. Do you think Gunner gets a call up tomorrow? Pretty much the last day to put him on the 40-man. The Orioles have until Thursday. will be Thursday is when the rosters will expand to 28 players for the final month of the season. Henderson uh, not on the 40-man roster right now. And, in fact, it's not Rule 5 eligible until after the 2023 season. But it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Henderson's going to get added to the 40-man sooner rather than later. I think we're going to see him, and I would be—I would not be shocked if he debuts during the Cleveland series this week, which will start Tuesday night. But curious to get your guys' thoughts. I, I think the promotions today kind of signal that this is happening soon. I mean, I know it's – when even Orioles beat reporters are getting duped twice now in their uh, guesses as to when Gunner's coming up. Literally no one knows when Gunner's coming up. But when you have, when you bring Joey Ortiz up, uh, a premier shortstop to Norfolk's roster, and you look at that, inf- I, w- I said before we came on, I was waiting to, for somebody to tweet out, like, 
Caden Grenier and, you know, or Greg Cullen or, you know, some of these, a pair of these infielders were released. And that would have made me kind of more hesitant saying, all right, they, they're making space for Ortiz. Gunner can still get at bats. Westberger can get at bats. So can Ortiz. Maybe he's not coming up quite yet. But I think you make these moves today. It sets up perfectly to bring up Gunner tomorrow. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think it is an issue. Of, it's not an issue of is he going to come up. It's just win. But, yeah, he's definitely coming up. And my only thing with Gunnar Henderson is can we stop fixating on the freaking strikeouts? Every single comment, like, Dan Connolly's army coming out with the strikeout takes on Gunnar Henderson enough already. He's at the lowest strikeout rate of any stop lower than any stop he had last year. And he's 21 years old in triple a. Apparently people just forget now his age when it was all, he's 20 years old. Look what he's doing. He's 21 year old in triple a with the lowest strikeout rate other than Bowie earlier this season. So stop fixating on the strikeouts. He's fine. He's going to come up very soon and hopefully it makes a big impact. That's all we can hope for. Well, amen to that. But um, uh, yeah, so I, I do think there's a good chance it's tomorrow. If it's not tomorrow, I think it could be Friday for the home series against Oakland, even though I know September 1st is Thursday. You could add him to the 40 man before that and then just call him up on Friday. Most likely, I think it's in the next couple of days. And the Ortiz promotion obviously is a signal to me that it is very likely to happen. But also, the fact that Corbin Carroll got called up today and is making his major league debut for Arizona tonight. He's in a very similar situation to Gunnar Henderson and Arizona decided that this was the week, this was the day that uh, he was going to come up and get enough at bats to, you know, get some experience, but still be eligible for them to get a draft pick next year, rookie eligibility once he's on the opening day roster next, next season. And the Orioles were off today. So to me, that means Gunnar will be up tomorrow. It's just a guess. I thought he would be up this time last week, but they waited one more week because they, I think they want him to get every day at bats when he's up and I can't argue with that. So yeah, we shall see when it happens. I said, when, not if it will be exciting, but we'll see. I'm glad you mentioned Corbin Carroll. I just want to look at the league as a whole as for a minute. This is the first year under the new collective bargaining agreement where a lot of these rules about rookie of the year voting and draft pick compensation are coming into play. Basically, a play team could gain a draft pick if a player is on their roster for a full season. I believe it's finished his first or second in rookie of the year voting. Um, so. The Diamondbacks are in a much different spot than the Orioles right now in the sense that they're really just playing for respectability down the stretch. So they're not going to the playoffs. But Corbin Carroll is a very similar prospect to Gunnar Henderson. They're frequently cited as either the first or second best in the game. And he would be a front runner for National League Rookie of the Year next year when the predictions start coming out. So do you think that this is just going to be the trend in baseball um, going forward where top prospects, rather than maybe not debuting until the following spring, do get that tune-up in September with the idea of being on the opening day roster the following year so teams can gain draft picks, especially because the draft doesn't offer the guarantees it used to now that you have the draft lottery in place. Yeah, I mean, you did see more higher-rated prospects begin the year on uh, the opening day rosters this season, and I think it's pretty well-known that Adley was looking to be one as well before his injury. At that point, they decided, you know, we might as well just let him – ease into it and get him up as soon as possible while, I don't know, maybe they wanted to, just in case he doesn't finish in the top two of the rookie of the year, we can get next year out of him. But 
I mean, maybe it hurts guys that like Gunner could have been up in late July, early August, but it's like, hey, if we just wait a little bit longer, you know, we can get them up and still have them eligible next year. But also it could help guys that otherwise, like Wanda Franco, wouldn't be up till late the next season or early-ish the next season. But, hey, let's get them up. Let's get them a taste, and they'll still be eligible for it. Yeah, it's complicated, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I like this situation better than the previous situation. I wish they could have just found a way to completely remove all the, the games around this situation. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it is still a game because and we don't have to agree with it i don't think many people do agree with it but it the rules are in place and gms and teams are going to take advantage of those rules the best they can and so that that's i mean that's why gunner's not up right now right it's because yes he can help this team speaking of that jeff ponce article earlier today he's like gunner is days or away from a call-up and could really potentially make an immediate impact in this playoff race and and i kind of think the same he's not gonna come out firing every single night. We know rookies are going to struggle. He's going to take his lumps, but his explosiveness and his potential to, to impact the game on any night, I think could have a major impact on the race, but you bring him up too early. Then what if he is playing well? And what if this team is right there and then you're forced to bench him because you want to hold onto that eligibility. Um, teams are not going to want to deal with that. So if you wait a couple more days, now you're entering this phase where we know he can get four at bats every game. We know we're going to give him one day off, maybe two days off a week, just standard, and we can get away with that. But if you would have to bench him that last week when you've got to beat this team and win this game, and he's hitting you know 350 and just homeward in back-to-back games, the outrage would be uh, unbelievable, and rightfully so. Yeah, and actually I do think the rule is now – I think it was going to be if you were first place in rookie of the year, you got a amateur draft pick. And if you were second or third, you would get an extra international draft pick. But since they didn't agree to an international draft, I'm not sure what happens to those other two. But yeah, it's so complicated. <laughs> Move on now to recapping quickly the FCL and Dominican Summer League seasons for the Orioles farm system. There were two teams in the Dominican Summer League this year. DSL Orioles Orange, who finished 26 and 34, while DSL Orioles Black finished the season 23 and 34. And across the two teams, you saw kind of an interesting mix of players that have been added to the system, particularly over the last year or two, as the Orioles became more active in the international market. So looking at DSL Orioles Orange, that was players like Edwin Amparo, Dean Mata, uh, both of whom put together pretty solid seasons. And DSL Orioles Black also featured a pretty strong crop of players, including Leandro Arias, Aaron Estrada, who looks like the possible Frederick Ben Cosme breakout of 2023 mm -hmm. after a season where he batted 368 with an OPS of over a thousand in 45 mm -hmm. games, young switch hitter, 17 years old. We have seen video of him. He's actually one of the few players we've had video of, of the Dominican summer league. And it looks like he's got a pretty nice stroke at the plate, especially from the left side. Braylon Tavera, the prize uh, acquisition in the Orioles International Free Agent class this past year, 411 on base percentage as a 17 year old. So, this is kind of an interesting mix of players here. We know that a lot of them are, are far away from the major leagues if they ever get there, but I will start with DSL. And, Bob, what uh, stood out to you down there this season? You know, a lot, kind of. I think this was the most successful international 
season since you know we got back into that market just a lot of guys that even if their numbers aren't overwhelming you can see clear signs of just talent like Tavera he only batted 243 with the 730 OPS but like you said he walked 36 times at on base over 400 Leandro Arias only had a 650 OPS but he walked a bunch stole 10 bases showed flashes Aaron Estrada the breakout Edwin Amparo ended so strong that Man, if if the season would have kept going, he might have, you know, got his numbers up to a pretty decent place. Raylan Ramos, I barely knew his name coming into the season. I obviously we talked about him a little bit on our show with uh, Kobe Perez, but he batted 288 with the 769 OPS. And Christian Benavides came out of nowhere, batted 295 with the 786 OPS. Gene Mata was great down the stretch. Alfredo Velasquez, a name to watch. Ellis Cuevas, Luis De La Cruz. So offensively, I feel like there was a bunch of guys where you know, maybe not the top of the market international like dollars that were like the headlines in around January or February. But, you know, it's a bunch of guys that are worth keeping an eye on. They had good walk rates, good strikeout rates. So that's really what I'm looking at when it comes to offensive players in the DSL is the walk and strikeout rates. And maybe a little bit of if they have some early developing power. Thomas Sosa, a guy we were high on, didn't have the best season 201 batting average of 596 OPS, but still very young obviously and has plenty of room to grow and the pitching was like there's like a list of 15 20 guys that had great numbers obviously you know don't know what to make of it exactly but guys that like Jose Ramirez struck out 73 batters in 52 innings Luis De Leon struck out 45 and 28 a bunch of those guys that just clearly have good stuff don't know if they'll be able to harness it but that's what uh, next year is going to be about yeah this is tough because you know we're doing we just kind of have to do what i think we always talk about we hate doing and that's box score you know stat line scouting here but you know we've gotten some bits and pieces of info on some of these guys uh that have been really awesome and i wish we would have had you know an authoritative voice on the show today to talk about these guys but hopefully sometime in the near future but like for me guys that really stood out and bob mentioned this you know i'm looking first first thing i look at is walk strikeouts when i'm talking about hitters and we, we've had, I think, Kobe Perez and Matt Blood have both said on the show, like, that's, yeah, that, that's what you want to look at here. If you're looking at numbers in this area, that's just something really important to look at. Um, it's a good indicator of, you know, do I pay attention to this guy or are they really struggling? As a 17-year-old on the DSL, if you're striking out 50% of the time, that's it's not going to improve that much. But, you know, Leandre Arias, you guys mentioned, we've heard some crazy batted ball data, like some insane exit velos. And not just for a 17-year-old, but just across the port, insane exit velos. So it's clear why he's high on uh, some uh, prospect list. Braylon Tavera, the on-base percentage is awesome to see, that 411 on-base percentage. Um, I'm just, I can't get super excited about Tavera yet. Maybe I just have to see him in the FCL next season, and in my opinion, will will change. But for me, the guys that stood out the most were Raylan Ramos, for sure. Hit 288, 359 on-base percentage. Uh, nine doubles, two triples, two home runs, just 21 strikeouts in 47 games. He closed out the year with a 354 average in August. I love that. I think I have an autographed card of his over here somewhere. So definitely love that. Uh, Gene Mata has been my guy since it was announced. And I think it was only because of the hype video he put out after he signed, but whatever, I'll take it. Uh, he backed it up. He had a 403 on base percentage this year, 22 walks to 24 strikeouts. So fantastic into the season. Benavides, Bob mentioned that name as well, but 17-year-old middle infielder who had a 566 OPS in June, 765 OPS in July, and then a 917 OPS in August. 
he had two extra base hits in the first two months of the year, had six extra base hits in August. And I went back and looked and Ben Badler in his kind of review column of the draft class actually had Benavides as the sleeper to watch in this draft class. Athletic plus speed plus arm, big power for his age, drives off with impact to right center field, pull side during batting practice. Uh, pretty much just mentioned if he can keep the strikeouts down as he moves up, this is going to be a guy to watch. So that's good to see. And he definitely did strike out a good bit. Um, Edwin Amparo too. Yeah, this is a guy who I think, if I remember correctly, didn't he get the third highest signing bonus, I believe? So yeah, when the calendar turned to August, he flipped the switch like so many of these other guys. And he had a 1017 OPS in the month of August. So clearly something clicked there, which I think is awesome. Uh, Kobe Perez name dropped him a few times on our show. This is a guy who I think no one really talked about, but had a fantastic end to the season. So clearly things are working for him. That's good to see Aaron Estrada. I don't think we can say enough good things about Estrada uh, and that season he had, but yeah, a couple of guys for, on the pitching side of things for me, names I just wanted to highlight real quick were uh, actually two guys who signed uh, at odd times, Brian Batista and Noel and Cuevas Batista signed in December so I think that means he must have signed for like that league minimum that doesn't count against your pool. But 18 years old, 6'3", struck out 48 guys, walked just 10. You'd love to see that for a pitcher. Noel Cuevas is a lefty, a little bit older, but he struck out 40, walked just 12, 2.08 ERA. He also signed in December. And then Jose Leandro signed in May of this year. But he's a 6'3 lefty who we saw some video on. Big curveball already, good breaking stuff, a lot of strikeouts, uh, did walk a number of guys, but had a 1.91 ERA. Leandro, Cuevas, and Batista are three guys, as far as pitchers go, that I'm definitely keeping my eye on in the FCL next year. And Luis Cesario, the guy who, who the Paul Fry return, had some good games, but overall, just kind of statistically decent. The FCL now, they finished their season 16 and 39. And the clear offensive standout was a player that was regarded as one of the best young hitters in the Orioles system coming into 2022, and that was Samuel Basayo. As a 17-year-old, Basayo belted six homers with a 279 average and a 774 OPS. And you have to wonder, if not for the number of hitters competing for at-bats in Delmarva right now, and Creed Willems being the Shorebirds everyday catcher who's just coming into his own at the plate, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, if Basayo would be in Delmarva right now. We had a lot of players come and make short and positive, but very short and present before going to Del Mar, like Frederick Ben Cosme was there. And there were a few prospects where you look at the stat line and you see a mixed bag. Michael Hernandez, I think, struggled a little bit more with contact than anyone would have expected. The same with Kevin Guerrero. In Hernandez's case, though, he did pick up the pace with a good month of August, and reports on his defense are pretty strong. (laughs) Davey Cruz has been one of the best breakout stories of this season was strong during his time in the FCL, striking out 17 batters in 13 innings of work across three starts. So those are a few of the standouts. I'll turn it over to Bob here, though, just to see what his thoughts on this team were. You know, it was really disappointing on the pitching front for me. A couple guys that I was with David Cruz, I was excited for him, and he proved to be, you know, worth getting excited about. But a couple other guys who – I was excited to see this year Cesar Alvarez and Anthony Murillo. Alvarez only pitched four innings, uh, didn't give up a run, struck out five, didn't walk anyone, but obviously some kind of injury. Luis Ortiz didn't pitch at all. He had some kind of injury. And Anthony Murillo, he only got in one and a third 
innings and didn't pitch great, obviously super short sample size, but unfortunate that those arms didn't get uh, a ton of time in and there weren't really any other break breakthrough arms, but the bats, there was definitely some interesting stuff. Like you mentioned Samuel Basayo, just a freak of nature and a guy who just continues to impress me more and more. The more I see of him, Michael Hernandez, sure, disappointing season, but still super young. He's got the tools. He seemed to be kind of turning things around towards the end there. Anderson De Los Santos, I think his numbers weren't great, 242 batting average, 752 OPS. But if you look at his walk strikeout numbers, his BABIP and that kind of stuff, very, very solid stuff. And the videos that Eric Garfield, shout out to him, you know, he's putting out there, he clearly can play solid defense as well. Um, Carlos Rodriguez was a little bit of a breakout. And Angel Tejada, I think, is worth shouting out as well. He had a 786 OPS on the season and another infielder who, you know, we'll see what happens next year when I get the full season ball. That's when we really uh, start to see what we really have. But this is part of the process, the next step from the DSL. And there were some successes and some disappointments like Kevin Guerrero, who batted 145 with the 503 OPS, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I mean, the highlight for me was definitely Basayo. If I could filter this correctly, which I was trying to do earlier in complex league stats, you know, are, are a monster here, but Basayo tied for the league lead in home runs, I believe, with six as a 17 year old kid. Uh, so he's flexing home run power as a high school junior in pro ball. I think that's huge. But while also he kept that strikeout rate at about 20%. So for me, that says a lot about his potential. Big power hitting catcher with a good eye at the plate, good swing and miss numbers as a teenager. He's going to be 18 years old and in Delmarva next year with 11 pro home runs already on his resume. Just absurd. We'll see what happens as far as position goes, but we saw the reports earlier this year. Uh, some of the numbers, I think Kobe Perez mentioned the arm strength numbers. He throws the ball hard down to second base. So for now, he's he's a catcher. We don't have to worry about him moving on his position at this moment. Uh Anderson De Los Santos, I think, was a guy who the numbers don't match the metrics, and he could be a real breakout guy as a 19-year-old in Aberdeen next year. I think you mentioned a credit Ben Cosme-esque rise. That could be Anderson De Los Santos for real. Um, to me, I was excited to see guys like Junior Lara. I was anxious to see him break out this year, but really didn't. Uh, Kevin Guerrero, Victor Gonzalez, we didn't see much of any of those guys this year. Victor Gonzalez was the, the player to be named later. And he has to be the savior of the uh, Miguel Castro trade with New York now. It's Kevin Smith is on the development list where players go to never be seen again. Uh, and Luis Gonzalez, the two outfielders, Luis Gonzalez and Steven Acevedo. I got really excited because Gonzalez had a huge month of July after a terrible June, huge July, and then kind of meh August. Uh, I, w- I hope maybe he has a good fall camp and they put him in Delmarva next year and say, here's your chance. Let's see if you got it. Uh, but Steven Acevedo, on the other hand, I think he got demoted back to the FCL like three times this year. A 5'11 OPS when he was with Delmarva and 50 strikeouts and 126 at-bats. So and I don't know if we see any more from Steven Acevedo, which is tough because both those guys had a lot of helium last year but or going into 2020. But Hernandez is a tough one. He's got no home runs and a 560 OPS and a bunch of strikeouts and a 191 average in 82 career games. So he is only 18. But we'll see. We'll give him another year and see if he can turn the corner. But and pitching, yeah, I agree with Bob. Um, nothing stood out. As disappointing as that is, even you know, again, yeah, shout out Eric, the great videos. But I, videos, the stats, all of that, I didn't see much. 
Maybe Junior uh, Pena. Yeah, he Maybe. touched 100 at, at yeah. one point, I think we found out. So that, that was cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, shit, I did it happen again. <laughs> well, accumulatively, I would say that Juan Rojas stood out, but the bulk of that production was actually with the Twins before he came over in the Jorge Lopez trade. He pitched 30 innings to the Twins, striking out 58 batters. Rojas, by the way, an 18 year old right hander. And then was pretty dominant in um, eight and two thirds innings for the Orioles. Didn't allow a run, struck out 12 batters, walked five though. But, you know, he was solid. But you're talking about someone who's not going to turn 19 until January, probably going to be developing that strict reliever profile. So we'll see where he things go from him. Uh, before we wrap up with the short season talk and head to Delmarva, anything else either one of you want to add? Yeah, speaking of Frederick Bencosme, I guess because it happened in the middle of the week last week, he got promoted to Aberdeen. I don't know if we mentioned that on the show, but uh, and then he went two for five with a triple in his first game, and he's had nine at bats, hasn't struck out once. So we'll see if he he solves that puzzle that is the Aberdeen hitting situation. Congrats to him. I think he's he's legit, and it's fun to see so many other people get excited about Bencosme. Like, why is he not a top thirty prospect yet? <laughs> you know, all this stuff. It's like, well. That's that's good. That's a good problem we have. How do we fit Frederick Bencosme into this top 30 list? Um, I'm going to try. <laughs> it's, it's happening. This guy's legitimate bat-to-ball skills, and the power has started to flash more, I think, as the season has gone has gone along, which is a, a really good thing. Well, Marva was, of course, where Bencosme burst on the scene, and now the Shorebirds have several players who are making positive first impressions after coming out of the system in the 2022 draft. Uh, before today's uh, show, this is actually you know, today's announcement. This was actually where we planned to talk about Judd Fabian a little bit, but he got promoted, so it gives us an opportunity to focus on some other guys. Dylan Beavers has gotten off to a strong start at Del Marva with an OPS of over 1,000 through 51 plate appearances in 10 games. He has stood out. Max Wagner has gotten off to a solid start as well. Silas Ardwan, um, something of a walk machine, which I don't know that I saw a lot of in his profile. He's only hitting 208 right now through 30 plate appearances, but he has managed to walk four times, giving him a 333 on base percentage. Jackson Holiday, of course, is now in Delmarva after making the jump there last week. And so far, he is two for 13 in three games to the Shorebirds. So kind of a small sample size at this point. But with some of the names I just mentioned, it's clear that this is a much different Shorebirds team than we saw for much of this year, which was a lot of young players, the Orioles had signed as international free agents, making their stateside debuts or their full season debuts. Now you have players that have come out of the draft in a lot of cases from high level division one programs, getting a tune up over the final weeks of the season. And I'll start with Nick here. It does feel like that you're watching a completely different Swordbirds team than the one you would have even seen three weeks ago. Yeah, this is the must-watch game, I feel like, most nights. But we said this last year, I think, as well at this time. But these guys are aggressive, and I think in a really good way. Like, you see the potential with Dylan Beavers. He's making a lot of fantastic contact so far. More singles and doubles, but he's coming up with the clutch hits. I don't think he's trying to do too much. Very, like, Colton Kowser-esque at-bats, I think, from what we saw when he was in Delmarva. I think it might take him a little while for that power to come through, but... When that organization can unlock the power, I think you see, again, a Colton Kowser-esque rise for Beavers next year. Um, I actually really enjoyed watching Adam Crampton. <laughs> I think I mentioned him as like a guy who 
I fall for those, you know, defensive wizards guys, but uh, he just shoots the ball the other way consistently, which I love to see that. And Jackson Holiday, like you, you see it, you see it. Now that we finally get to watch him play. I think it was, he didn't play Sunday. So Saturday, I want to say he came up with the bases loaded or there were guys on, he was in a game winning situation there and he, he hit a ball. I thought he just fouled it off. And again, I'm watching on MILB TV. I'm not at the stadium, but I thought he had just fouled it off. And I was like, oh, all right, next pitch. No, this thing fell like 10 feet short of a game-winning walk-off home run. Now, like, how? There's no way that ball just traveled almost 400 feet. Uh, but it did. It's just easy power from this kid. Uh, I love the swing. But, um, yeah, Max Wagner just gets beaned every chance he gets. I'm scared for him. <laughs> but he's patient, uh, not striking out a whole lot. That's the thing, these guys are showing the same thing the draft class showed last year. Strikeouts are low, walks are high, they're getting on base, and they're hitting the ball hard. And so we'll we'll see next year. This gets me excited again for next year to see, all right, it's Aberdeen again when these guys all move up together. Yeah, I guess Max Wagner is this year's Hudson Haskin or Brett Cumberland, <laughs> the guy who's going to get on base any way he can. And I, I like that. Hopefully it doesn't lead to too many injuries. But, uh, yeah, that, the holiday swing is just so easy, and the ball just – explodes off the bat you love to see it we talked about judd fabian dylan beavers yeah it's been great but the guy who's been surprising to me is carter young obviously we signed him to a an over slot deal for 1.3 some million dollars but and it's small sample but he's got a 346 batting average 832 ops with three doubles in a walk so far with them over i thought you know especially coming off the injury with vanderbilt and the bad season he had i thought maybe you know, it would take some time before the Orioles could work with him and, and get his offensive numbers back up. But he was even four for 14 with the walk in the FCL. So he's off to a good start. We'll see if it can last. And uh, yeah, I like uh, Douglas Hodo. He's got five walks, two stolen bases so far. Adam Retzbach, he's got six walks. All these guys, uh, they clearly like guys that can uh, take a walk. And uh, I think I'm going to have to take a walk after this podcast, considering how many times I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> You know, talking about the Shorebirds lineup of late, it wouldn't be complete if we only limited this discussion to 2022 draft picks because we've had a couple of players emerge as breakouts this month. Creed Willems, who has known as the Shorebirds for most of the season, delivering by far his best month offensively for the Shorebirds. So he's trying to put a strong finish together to the end of this season. Reed Trimble, meanwhile, a player that we were not sure we were going to see this year after a shoulder surgery over the offseason – has been with Delmarva um, since about the middle of middle to end of last month and offensively has picked up the pace, hit two home runs. And if you watch his at-bats, he's putting together quality at-bats. He's hitting the ball hard. And the power was one of the things we were wondering about Trimble coming out of Southern Miss. What it translate? And while we don't have enough of a sample size yet to know if it's going to at the professional levels, you can see that some of the improvements he's making down the stretch here at the Shorebirds or allowing him to tap into that power a little more. Uh, I go back to Creed because I mentioned him the other day at, at the end of an episode and 837 OPS this month. And that walk-off blast he had the other night was beautiful. Probably his best swing of the season. And it came just minutes after I saw people talking, like uh, trashing him online, and which makes it even better. He's a 19-year-old kid who is commanded this pitching staff with turnover, probably a language barrier as well. We've mentioned this before with Creed. Uh, I mean, he's catching as well. It's the hardest position there is. 
uh, to adjust to and he's learning and he's developing and he's growing and we're seeing that and you know Adley has had high praise for him Drew Ramos come on the show and had high praise for him and I'm not comparing Adley to Creed at all in terms of prospect status but the leadership attributes that we highlighted so often when Adley was coming through the system I see that in Creed the way he interacts with his pitchers he's taking cues from Adley you see that on the field uh, so shout out to Creed Willems to end the season on a high note. Uh, and yeah, Reed Tremble, it's still the same thing. Like just stay healthy, just get these at bats. I just want to see him in that batter's box for the rest of the year. I honestly did not think that we would see Trimble at all this year. So this is just a pleasant surprise. This is all a bonus for me. The power's coming through, decent eye at the plate. You know, look at Joey Ortiz and how long it took him to come back from surgery. Reed Trimble had shoulder surgery. So let him settle in and he's, Honestly, he's if you want to pick at something, he's not hitting lefties. I think I noticed that he's hitting like under 100 or something ridiculous against lefties. But, you know, he's he's going to finish the year in Del Marva and get more work at fall camp, likely start next year at Aberdeen. And we finally get a full healthy year of Reed Trimble and we, we see what we finally got in him. But it's good to see him come on strong at the end of the year. The thing with Creed for me is. Yeah, he's bigger. He's out of shape, whatever. I mean, the fact that they let him skip the FCL this year. They put him in Delmarva and they never demoted him to back to the FCL despite his struggles. That says a lot to me that the organization knows that he can handle the adversity that he's going through in this learning experience of a year and he's going to be all the better for it next year. So I, I it really annoys me all the comments that people make about him, but uh, we'll see how he comes out next year and looks and what was I going to say? Yeah. I like what I've seen from Reed Trimble. Uh, I think the power, yeah, I'm not worried about the power with the shoulder injury. I mean, we'll see next year when that comes in, but he's just putting good swings as the season has gone on. He's got more comfortable. Obviously, he had a great game when he was like three for four with the walk one game last last week, and then he was one for three with the walk on Sunday. So he's getting in the swing of things, and unfortunately, the season is ending in about two weeks, but we'll see if he goes to the F- AFL. I don't know if they're going to think that he's ready enough for that level of competition, but uh, yeah, I like what I've seen from him lately. And unfortunately, Anthony Servideo, what's going on with that guy? Uh, struggling, even in the FCL when that season ended and he didn't get the bump up when it did. So unfortunate. Development list? Yeah, that's the biggest disappointment because he was fun to watch on defense last year in Delmarva. We know the walk numbers were, I think I called him the walk god numerous times. Uh, yeah, he just it was what sports hernia and then what a groin injury at the end of the year again. So maybe that's, what's keeping him out. The continued issues with the groin injury, Uh, but this is a full year pretty much that he's, he's lost after missing 2020 limited 2021. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's looking tough for Anthony Servideo. Yeah, it is. We'll move on though and talk about a big story that happened in baseball this week, and whether uh, we could see something for the Orioles on the horizon, Julio Rodriguez, uh, one of the leading contenders alongside Adley Rutschman for American League Rookie of the Year, agreed to a massive contract extension that could run well into the next decade with the Mariners. It's a very complex deal, and I don't have 45 minutes to get into every intricacy of it. So I'll just give you some of the simple details. The base of the contract is seven years, $105 million. That will start in 2023, plus a $15 million signing bonus. After that, though, the Mariners have to de- could de- pick up club options 
based on where Rodriguez's performance and AL award MVP award voting, how that goes out over the next few years, they would have to pick up that option after the 28 season. And the deal could end up running if all options are exercised, could end up running through the 2039 season uh, and be valued at over $470 million or at $470 million. So this is a massive contract that I don't think we have quite seen in baseball history. So a lot to unpack, but where where this comes back to the Orioles is Adley Rutzman, uh, right there with Rodriguez, neck and neck for Rookie of the Year award. And Rutzman has been a guy that going back to when he pretty much entered the system, the question was when the time came, would the Orioles pull the trigger on an extension? We've talked about on this show before, but we feel like on the heels of the Rodriguez extension, it's worth revisiting. And, it feels like those conversations, if they're going to take place, we're going to start sooner rather than later. Um, Bob, I just want to get your thoughts on, number one, do you think that the Orioles and Rutzman will explore an extension uh, sometime between now and the start of the 2023 season? And what could you see that looking like if it does happen? I do think at least the Orioles are going to explore it. I don't know if Adley's up for it or not. We'll see. But I mean, let's get it done. The sooner the better. Uh, I'd love to see an eight to ten year deal, but this Julio Rodriguez contract might be precedent setting. I don't know if I don't know if teams or players are going to like this type of deal more. But yeah, I mean, I, I think Adley would probably be similar to the Wander Franco extension if we were going to do that. So maybe like, I don't, I don't even know. It's hard with the arbitration and it's going to be cheaper in the beginning, but I think the team would love to do it. It's all about if Adley's up for it and yeah, add it. We can do eight years, 215 million. I'm fine with that. You, you, you solved it. There it is. <laughs> I, I went back to old Frank. So we talked about this before when our old friend, Stephen Loftus actually put out what I think is the best article that I've seen written about this so far. I know there've been a few more, but Stephen Loftus is uh, the man who the Braves got a good one. Still miss him. Um, he kind of mentioned the three different options. I'm trying to scroll back here and look, but he mentioned three options. And this was before Adley came up and we knew Adley was going to be this good. But uh, the the six-year, $52 million deal, buy out the pre-arb you know, pre years, that's not going to happen. Uh, buyout, option two was a buyout pre-arb plus some options. So it comes out. Six years plus three options, so a six-year deal at seventy million could come out to nine years, one hundred twenty-six million. And I think all three of us at the time said like that's probably the option you you probably go. But and then he said the Tatis mega style deal, which I think would now have to be the Julio Rodriguez mega style deal, but twelve years, two hundred million dollars. Um, I don't know, like I don't do contract numbers and all this stuff. All I know is that for me, like you got to lock this down i think you and it would be the perfect first step this offseason right this team is winning top prospects are arriving they're having success i don't need to pull out pitcher by pitcher the stats of what these pitchers pitch like when adley's behind the plate versus Torino's is behind the plate we have we've all seen it we all know those numbers we don't even need to see those numbers in front of us to understand the difference that adley makes but you look at the numbers not just what he brings to the pitching staff but like He's not just a potential rookie of the year candidate, but I think he's honestly, there's a legitimate argument, not just saying this as an Orioles fan, but a legitimate argument to say that he is the best catcher in baseball right now, or he is very close to being the best catcher in all of baseball. He's he's fourth in the majors right now in F4. 
second in doubles, fourth in walks. This is all among catchers. I did the 200 plate appearance threshold, and he's second on base percentage, second highest WRC plus, third lowest swing and strike rate. And, and this is all while he really struggled those first two weeks or so that he was up. Like, I don't think I have to convince this audience that <laughs> Adley Rush is that good, but like, you know, lock him down, show the rest of the league that we've shown the rest of the league that, hey, this team is for real. This team is a winning team. Lock your leader down and show the rest of these free agents, like, hey, we got money. We're going to spend this money. Show the fans that you're going to spend this money. You've got to take risks. Of course, when Julio Rodriguez deal was announced, I think I tweeted like Adley's next. Uh, and then someone had to respond, Chris Davis, you're blocked. Um, <laughs> no, you've got to take risk. And Adley Rutschman is the guy to take that risk on. Like Lock him down, show the fans, show the rest of the league that this is for real. Make the trades, sign more free agents. And 2023 is going to be that year in Baltimore. I, I strongly believe that. I know there are some people who are hesitant because they don't like Michael Elias for whatever reason. They don't trust this front office. They don't, Maybe it's ownership. They don't trust ownership's going to give them the money to spend. I get all of that, but I just can't convince myself that this offseason is not going to be a ton of fun. And to lock Adley down would just be the start. Yeah, and honestly, there's not a less risky contract than these these deals that are signed while these players are pre-arbitration because look what the Braves have done with Acuna, Albies, and now uh, Michael Harris. So, yeah, I mean, there's no, basically no risk because Adley's Adley, and uh, I don't ever want to see him in another uniform as long as I'm watching baseball. Yeah, I think that the Orioles have to do something. The Rodriguez contract might not be a perfect comparison um, in terms of the amount of years it's going to run. Adley is three years older. He plays a more volatile position. So there are some different risk factors involved in Rutzman's case. But I revisited Stephen's piece that was written at Baltimore Sports and Life over the offseason. And I think that I would still lean towards something that looks similar to the second scenario that Stephen outlined. Maybe it's more of an eight to 10 year deal, probably higher annual salary um, than what Stephen had, had in there. And maybe the Rodriguez contract in some way ties in where, you know, Rutschman could win American League MVP in the next three years. That seems like a very realistic possibility. Maybe there's a bonus or you know a player-friendly option that automatically kicks in if Rutschman does win the award or he finishes runner-up. There's probably a lot of ways that Rutschman's representatives could be creative about it that I'm not thinking of right now. But I think you you have to start somewhere, and I think the Rutschman extension is the best place to do that. And I think what you have to consider is that even teams – that don't spend a lot of money, still find a way to lock players up. The Rays did it with Wander Franco. They did it with Evan Longoria back in the day. The Guardians did it with Jose Ramirez. That was one that I didn't see coming, but they signed him, and I think that was the right move. The Oakland A's are notorious for extending players. Of course, they trade them later on, but they will extend players early in their careers. So I think before you want to go out and try to get a big free agent in, or you want to trade for a guy that maybe has a year or two left on his contract and convince him to sign an extension in Baltimore, you got to invest in your core. And I think investing in Adley Rutzman is a significant way to do that. So if I'm the Orioles, if they haven't started those talks already, I would be starting them as soon as possible and hope to have an extension in place by the time the 2023 season starts and know exactly what the next six to eight years are going to look like and you can start to plan to build around Rutzman for 
what should be a really special prime of his career. I mean, honestly, I might even consider the same for Gunnar Henderson at this point, even though I know it's Scott Boris is his agent, so probably not likely, but explore it with him. The pitching, you know, Grayson, I think that's you can wait a little bit just because it's so volatile between injuries and stuff. But I would try to lock even Kowser in the next year or two. Like, let's get some of these guys that we think could be like staples to this team, lock them in so that they know, hey, we're in this together for the next X amount of years and, and let's do it. Yeah, even the Pirates gave Cabrian Hayes $70 million. <laughs> like, we can give Adley Rutschman a contract if the Pirates of all teams can give Hayes a contract. But yeah, I just think you look at the wall and the impact that's had. Just the the overall rise of this team this year. If you can go out into free agency and say, yeah, this is our guy who's behind the plate and he's locked down for the next 8 to 10 to 12 years, um, even just eight years. He's locked down for the next eight years. This is the ballpark you're pitching at now. These are the guys who are coming through the system. You can't tell me that pitchers aren't going to want to come to Baltimore to pitch. I mean, this is this is this is the beginning, and you've got to lock this down in the beginning. Because if you let Rutschman go, I feel like between the Machado deal, uh, Lamar Jackson issue going on right now, I'll take that shot at Ravens fans while I can. I'm not a Ravens fan, so I'm just going to take that shot. I feel like Orioles fans and Baltimore area fans are, you know, we're we're scarred. But um, don't make this mistake with Adley Rutschman. That's all I got to say. And regarding the ownership aspect of this, which I know is complicated because we don't have the same assurances that John Angelos is going to run things the way Peter Angelos did. And on almost every single issue, we hope that John Angelos is not in the same way, the team the same way Peter Angelos did. But with Peter Angelos, there actually was a line of contract extensions for players at free agency. Brian Roberts got one that didn't really work out, but it was a popular move at the time. Mike Messina got one, unfortunately didn't end his career in Baltimore. Same can be said for Adam Jones and Nick Marcakis, but there is a precedence in Baltimore for these kinds of extensions and for the most part having them work out under Angelos. So I don't really see any reason to believe that there is going to be hesitancy from ownership unless there are things that are much different now that haven't become clear to us yet. I mean, we got this deal. Who was that deal? Was it not Fanatics? Whoever this deal is yeah. now, yeah, use your fanatics, your sports book yeah. money that's coming yeah. in. Let's exactly. let's reinvest that into a little catcher behind the plate. Though. Exactly, the money is there, and this is a perfect way as well. You 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 raise the payroll. Michael I said we're going to be raising the payroll, right, or something along those lines. You don't even necessarily have to. I've seen some people say this as well. You don't necessarily have to go out and throw a ton of money in free agency. Just lock your guys down. That payroll is going to climb, and the the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, you know, it's just do it. We're sponsored by Nike now. <laughs> and I'll just throw this out there before we move on from this. I'd rather have the Orioles extend some key players and go out and give Trey Turner Marcus Simeon's contract. So, but yeah. again, topic for another episode altogether. <laughs> um, we'll wrap up now with our usual final segment, which is our players outside the top 30 and some of the things they've done lately, whether it's been a good game, a good week, maybe just something interesting we're noticing with their performance trends. Um, and I'm going to start with Nick, who has a couple of interesting players at the highest level of the minor leagues. Yeah, I went AAA. I'll go with pitching first. Uh, but I went uh, Yanir Cano, uh, acquired in the Jorge Lopez deal. But he pitched two innings last week, one run, no one hit, no runs, no walks, two strikeouts. 
since he got rocked on August 7th, he's pitched six and a third innings and he's allowed just one earned run. I, for whatever reason, I'm just, here's a, a bold uh, prediction early on for next year. I think Cano makes an impact in next year's bullpen. Uh, whatever it is, I love the changeup. I love just all the pieces he has. If this organization can unlock something with him, I think they have, it, he's not going to become a Felix Batista or anything like that, but I think he can become a usable bullpen piece next year for sure. And King Grenier was the hitter. I feel like this is the last chance we're going to have to talk about King Grenier, but uh, the injuries are piling, or, you know, not his. That's something else. Never mind. What his numbers? Uh, Grenier, Grenier, Grenier. Last week, four for nine, a triple, a home run, four walks, three strikeouts. He's played all four infield positions this year. He's played left field, getting on base at 344 clip. But I want to bring him up and say, I know we have a lot of fans out there who love Kane Grenier. Do either of you see any path whatsoever for him in this organization? Or is this pretty much it for him? Maybe he'll catch on somewhere else. In this organization, it's gotten a lot more difficult because I thought early in the year his path to the majors was Orioles maybe not having a lot of luck at shortstop and going with the shorthand on defense to kind of help stabilize things down the stretch. But then Jorge Mateo's breakout came along. That wasn't an issue anymore. And now you've got Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz all at the majors or AAA with Jackson Holiday probably going to be moving pretty quickly in the next two years. So, yeah, the, the path is getting narrower for Caden Grenier with this organization. It's, but uh, so I understand why some people are fans, you know, the, the defense especially. It's Mason McCoy Redux. Nice to have in AAA, but I don't know if it ever happens with this team. I could see him making a major league debut somewhere, but not with those. Yeah. Speaking of shout out to Mason McCoy, I see him on the Twitter timeline all the time. The guy makes defensive highlights every night, but good job, Mason. Yeah, I'll go with my guys next. I uh, went with Trendon Craig. Um, if it wasn't for the lack of power, I think he would be looking a lot more impressive. And I'm surprised it's not there, but, you know, he's got to start to lift the ball more. I think they're all powers in there. But over the last two weeks, he's batting 325 with a 772 OPS, um, 372 on base, only 400 slugging, 113 WRC plus. But he's been hitting the ball pretty good, just not for much power. So want to see that climb up and then my pitcher is going to be peter van loon who i feel like you know was the hot name for a couple months there and then he kind of just fell off the radar a little bit but in the month of august he had only four starts but a 2.81 era uh, over how many innings was it 16 innings with 13 strikeouts did walk eight so that's a little a little bit high but no home runs allowed and i still think he's a big guy with some big stuff that could uh Make some noise next year. I'm sticking entirely in Delmarva this week, and I'll go with one of their more recent additions, and that is Douglas Hodo, an outfielder drafted in the sixth round out of Texas in this year's draft by the Orioles. He's gotten in three games so far to Shorebird, stolen two bases, impressively has walked five times against four strikeouts. And while he's only two for ten in that span, with Judd Fabian getting promoted, that's another opportunity for him to probably get Every day at bats in the out somewhere in the Swordbirds outfield for the rest of the season. So with more consistent playing time, I'm intrigued to see what he does. And the reports on his defense out of Texas are very positive, and those are backed by a lot of highlight reel catches that you can find online. And then 
pitching wise, I'm going to go with Ryan Long, who has been one of the Swerbirds' best pitchers over the month of August. 11 innings pits. He has yet to allow a run while allowing just five hits with 17 strikeouts against one walk. Long has kind of been a stabilizing force for the Swerbirds this year. 67 innings, 71 strikeouts, a 2-8-2 ERA. Uh, so it's good to see him finishing the year on a high note. And hopefully, the, you know, he's able to work his way in the conversation for Aberdeen's rotation next year. Long, by the way, a 17th rounder out of last year's draft out of Panoma College and is making his full season debut this year. No runs over his last 20 innings, which is a fantastic run. Two walks, 22 strikeouts over his last 17. And even in the last start, he's pulling some Johnny Cueto-esque moves uh, out there on the mound with the the shimmies and the shakes and the disrupting time. And so he's, he's getting cocky out there on the mound, and I love it. I love every <laughs> everything he's doing out there. Shout out to Ryan Long. He's been unbelievable since he came off the I.O. Also, shout out to Trace Bright, who did – Pretty good in F shorts did in the FCL and he had has like three scoreless innings with four strikeouts, I think, with Del Marva. So off to a good start for a bright future ahead for Trace Break. Well, that does it for this week. So we will be back next week with uh, some of the latest Orioles minor league news. And a quick note, we will be airing on Tuesday night next week. There's obviously a, a holiday on Monday, but then the Orioles also have a doubleheader against Toronto that is gonna be pretty pivotal with their wild card chances. So We'll be on the air Tuesday night when there's just one game to compete with and not a holiday. In the meantime, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest coverage on the Orioles, the Ravens, and college sports. Be sure to join the message board and engage in discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors. And follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Birds for all the news and highlights throughout the week. We'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Birds.